Welcome to Dig In, the podcast brought to you by Dig Insights. Every week, we interview founders, marketers, and researchers from innovative brands to learn how they're approaching their role and their category in a clever way. Welcome back to Dig In. Today, we're talking to Paul Tashima. Paul is currently the Chief Client Experience Officer at Wealthsimple. In that role, Paul leads the client success operations and portfolio management and work teams to provide an exceptional experience for all of Wealthsimple's clients. Pre, uh, previously, Paul was co-founder and CEO at Nudge, acquired by Affinity in 2020, and also led Eloqua, uh, marketing, which is an auto marketing automation software. As part of the founding team, from he took that company from $0 to over $100 million in revenue. Uh, through to IPO and a successful acquisition for $957 million by Oracle. Thanks so much for joining us today, Paul. Thank you for having me, Ian. Excited to be here. That was a mouthful. You've done a lot. You're, you're a busy man and now you're well simple. So uh, can you kind of give us a quick overview of what it is that you're doing at Well Simple? Yeah. And, uh, you know, although it maybe seem like I've done a lot, this is only my third job in the last 20 years. So I, I kind of choose a place and stick to it. Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to join Wellsimple about 15 months ago. And in my role as chief client experience officer, really, I help manage all the front facing teams that engage with our clients across all of our product lines. And, um, you know, with every financial service product, there's an element of trust that's needed. And um, we're there to help them, whether it's everything from how to get set up and onboarded all the way to provide you a financial plan and advice. So it's all those teams that have those different touch points that I run and work with today. And how did you, how did you end up there from, you know, from founding two companies, bringing one all the way to IPO? How did you end up at Wealthsimple? It's a, it's a good story. So um, I think, first of all, uh, I was um, winding down my last company, Nudge, when I sold it. And this was in January, February of 2020. And the deal closed like two weeks before COVID hit. And um, I think two weeks later, I'd either still be at that company or doing something slightly different uh, because of COVID. So that was really interesting timing. And after selling that company, um, someone who I'd known for for several years and stayed in touch with through the startup scene, Mike Katchen, who's the CEO of Wellsimple, reached out. And he presented a really interesting opportunity here. They really wanted to um, elevate the client experience function at Wellsimple. He knew I didn't have a lot of financial service experiences, but he knew that I really, really cared about clients. And so uh, through that process and meeting some of the fantastic people here, I fell in love with the mission and decided to join in November 2020. Wow. And so you joined in 2020. You guys, have, you've basically been through like hyper growth, right? Like I don't I don't know what the actual numbers are, but you're, you're growing incredibly quickly. Um, yeah, it, it was... Um, I've never, and I've been part of a successful startup before, been on boards of other really fast growing startups. I have never experienced growth like I did after joining Wellsimple. So just to give you a sense of it, we started with 73 people on, on the CX team. And today we're well over 370 people. And that's about 15 months later. And um, it really kicked off with this whole mem stock phenomenon, GameStop in January, where a whole bunch of retail investors were flooding to brokerages and platforms like Wellsimple to get involved and buy these sort of stocks like GameStop and Nokia and BlackBerry that were being run up with uh, uh, a lot of this activity. And so as everyone was rushing to the market to get involved, we had a massive spike of clients and, and we've been catching up ever since. Wow. Um, so, you know, just joining a company like that. So 
you know, you said you didn't have a lot of financial services experience and you joined like during a hyper growth phase. And then the whole, the meme stop, the meme stock craze happened. I mean, those are all big challenges. What, what are some of like, what were some of the biggest challenges that you had to overcome when you first arrived so that you could keep up with that growth? Well, I think there's a couple of things and, you know, having gone through two different startups with different sort of outcomes, I, I, I've developed a bit of a, of a thick skin through adversity. So I, I really, through this process, tried to break it down and maybe some of my, my engineering schooling, break it down to the parts that we could manage and what we could control. And I think one of the hardest things is, and this is in all services type organizations, is this idea of like, well, how quickly do you hire versus maintain a certain quality and process and getting those hires? Because it's that balance that really is going to make a difference for the client that they're talking to. And for us, it was really challenging because we we were so behind and there were so many clients on board, we couldn't hire fast enough. Everyone in the entire team, uh, including myself, we were doing frontline single call interviews and then making decisions. So we get these people in the door and get them trained and get them helping our clients. And I, I remember one time when things were getting really rough and we were not getting the clients fast enough. Um, our CEO was asking me, like, do we slow things down? Do we not let new clients join the platform because our service levels and responding to them are bad? And I said to him, you know what? The most interesting thing, and if you take a step back and think about context, is only one in eight new customers ever call us. And so seven customers are getting the benefit of our platform without any problems and any need to talk to our support organization. And so why would we turn off the ability for them to do that? And so that was kind of the guiding North Star for us through that tough time. And um, we managed to get through it by focusing on getting the right people in as fast as we could, but knowing that most of our clients were still having a great experience. That's really fascinating. I mean, that just shows the importance of having those types of metrics at your fingertips and, and also of having great onboarding and great like sort of product growth, I guess, strategies in place so that people can use your platform without having to reach out to customer success or support, right? Yeah, and that is, I mean, the user experience is one of the, real differentiators, I think, for well simple. And they they I, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I joined after it long since they've invested and figured that out and and made that a real differentiator in a in a you know a tough market, uh financial services to do that in. Right. So so all of that, I mean, incredible recent story, but let's I, I like to back up for a second to your previous successes because those are pretty massive as well. So if we if we look back before joining Well Simple, you founded two startups, uh, Eloqua, which you took all the way to IPO, and Nudge, which you sold in 2020. Um, I'd like to talk about each of those quickly, if you don't mind. I mean, let's talk about Eloqua first. Uh, you know, the, the percentage of, of, of successful startups is very low in terms of survival rate, at the, just as a starting point, let alone getting all the way to IPO, which is incredible. I think you're probably the, the first person I've ever met who's taking something from startup to IPO himself. Uh, you know, I know you had a team, but what I mean is from the beginning. So if you were to boil down the lessons you took from that success, what are some of the top ones that you'd, you'd give to other people who, are, who you know, had SaaS startups? Yeah, you know, there, there, there's some great lessons learned. I will say, and I, there's gonna be some of them that I think everyone kind of talks about, you know, you have to hire a great team. It's all about the people. I won't go too much into that one. I think that's a self-understood one. For me, uh, a couple of things that come to my mind are one, I think the fact that we were bootstrapped at the start of Eloqua. So it was, it was you know, end of 99, 2000, when it was founded, 
there wasn't a lot of venture capital in Canada, never, never mind, you know, SaaS startups in venture capital. And so we had to be profitable in the first, you know, 18 months. And I think that DNA in us let us be really lean in how we approached getting the product market fit and then getting customers happy and, and successful. And that DNA, I think, allowed us to survive the downturn of 2008 and eventually become a, a business that looked attractive to the public markets in 2012. So that's the first thing is that the bootstrapping at the start, I think, forced us to start from a place that was very lean and uh, focused on effectiveness really quickly. Um, the second is, is that uh, we um, were really, really bought into customer success early because of, of being a SaaS product. And because of that, we made two big pivots just because that's what the customers needed that we maybe wouldn't have if we were focused more purely on sales or marketing. And that big pivot was moving from a chat product, which we thought was what the, the market needed, to a marketing automation product for marketers. And, and today, chat's prevalent everywhere. But back then, chat was not a prevalent thing on websites. And that change and decision we made really allowed us to become sort of the dominant player in the space. And then I think the last thing for me is, is some a lot of successful founders don't talk about is that just some luck at market timing. Um, you know, I think it's Vinod Koshla who says that like success in startups is just lasting long enough with the capital you have till something happens in the market. And I think that's fair. Um, we lasted a long time at slow growth. And then when we pivoted and we started to get some traction, um, and the economic turndown, everyone was caring about these giant marketing budgets and how effective marketing was being and really wanted them to be, to be able to be more focused on driving revenue. And because of that market trend that started to happen, um, we became the the hand that fit in that glove and really, really took off. And Wow. So you talked about getting to product market fit, which is, I mean, it's a nerve wracking time because you're talking to customers and you're trying to figure out like, you know, not just is the product that I'm selling, is it fitting a, a use case for like, you know, for a, a key, uh, a key persona, but also am I selling it in the right way? So how long did it take you to lead to, to like, you know, not only pivot from chat to overall marketing automation, but then also feel really confident about your pricing model. Like I find that's a really challenging piece as well. The pricing model is very, very challenging and is tied very tightly to pro uh, productization, I would say for sure. Like the, And we were in a different pricing model all the way into 2007, very much more of a agency style, like lots of different variables and you had a fee for this, a usage fee for that. And um, around 2007, um, we had a new CEO come in, Joe Payne, and he asked me, even though I wasn't running product at the time, to actually come up with a simpler model. And he came from the packaged goods industry. Like he came from, well, sorry, he was in B2B, but he came from like Coke. And he said, I want basically a good, better, best model. And they don't usually have that in software. And it was pretty innovative for him to say that. And I did the work and we put together this good, better, best model. And it ended up being actually the default model for now the industry in market animation. Everyone has it and they charge per context in the database. And um, it was really a pretty interesting moment and an important moment for us to actually start scaling sales even faster. And that's to your point on that mattering. Before that, it was harder because it was so complex. Wow. So you were one of the pioneers of good, better, best, because that's everybody now. I think almost every SaaS page you go to now, you know, a few people have, you know, like a menu matrix type approach, but or modular approach. 
almost everybody's good, better, best. Uh, I almost think it's gone too far where, you know, sometimes now companies have good, better, best when they really only have the feature differentiation to support <laughs> two, but they, they force the third one in, right? So I think that's- Hey, we were like that too. I think that's, that's a little <laughs> bit of the, the psychology of it, but eventually yeah. you get that, that, that best model. But yeah, I, I hear you on that. And I don't know if we were the originators of it, but we certainly pushed it the first into um, SaaS uh, B2B software. Wow. So uh, let's let's talk about Nudge. Let's contrast that a little bit with Nudge because you, you know, you and I, did, we have connected before and you, you know, when I asked you a little bit about Nudge, you, you were the one who referred to Nudge as more of a failure versus Eloqua. Although, I mean, you still sold it. So I don't know how much of a failure it was, but um, what were the, can you, what did you learn from that experience versus what you learned from Eloqua? I, I'll start by saying that, you know, one of the best things about uh, any building, any business is the journey and the people you get to work with. And I always take that away um, no matter what. So I, I would say Nudge was a failure. You know, we raised a bunch of money. We never got to escape velocity. And yes, we did end up selling the technology, but it wasn't for a great outcome for our investors. Um, but I'm really, really happy that everyone got jobs again, like two weeks before COVID and, and moved on to something probably better. Um but you know some of the key lessons for me, and, and so here's the interesting uh, difference: is that we were very well funded at the beginning. So we just come off myself and my co-founder just came out of the big win at Eloqua. Uh, we raised almost 10 million US pre-revenue, um, and um, in some ways, although we were very frugal, like we never took salaries uh, except for one year out of out of the six, and we just had a lot of time. Um, and maybe if we had been a little leaner or raised a little less, there would be more pressure to drive to a product market fit outcome um, versus the one that maybe we thought was the right one. So that's the first lesson was that I'm not saying you still shouldn't raise capital, but you should find ways to really put tension and pressure and stress to move with urgency, no matter what. Right. Um, I think the second is that, again, back to market timing. I actually think we have a really great solution. And I think Affinity is actually doing really good stuff with it as part of their OR solution. I do think we were early. I do think some of what we're doing will be used in every CRM system. And this one, we just didn't last long enough uh, to get to a point where it started to take off. And I would say the last thing for me um, on, on Nudge is, uh, and this is like really important for every founder out there is like, you know, we ended the company with money in the bank because we wanted to do the right thing for everybody and not run it into a wall. And I think that's really important that you're mindful that you have a fiduciary responsibility as a CEO and board member to, you know, to treat your employees and your clients with the right, right process and right way. And that gave us time to let, to wind down things appropriately. I'm actually still technically on the board of, of Nudge and have to deal with some things because there's some covenants that we're covering. Uh, but, you know, it's a real responsibility to start a company, but everyone should do it, but just know it's a real responsibility. Yeah, you know, no joke about market timing. I don't know how many times I've been to like, you know, Web Summit or or another whatever the one is that they used to they were holding in Toronto, starts with a C. Anyways, uh, and you'd meet somebody and they they were like, yeah, you know, I basically invented Pinterest before Pinterest, right? Like, there's so many of those stories where somebody went full bore on a great idea, right? And then they they turned out to be the MySpace instead of the Facebook, right? And and so. I think that's a common one. I totally, and it's collision you're talking about, I think, right? That's collision, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, a VC investor once told me, uh, and I always thought it was a great, great line that, you know, there's only really two types of startups that, that make it successful. 
The first is one that finds the 30 best engineers in the world and they lock themselves away for four years and they invent the next Google. And that's a rare, that's not a normal startup. And then the other one is a startup that's riding the, the, the coattails of a trend that's bigger than your startup that carries you along through the market as it grows because you need that help because there's so many challenges. And I think it's choosing when and how to jump on those coattails. That's a huge part of like being successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. Let's bring that back to Well Simple for a second, because Well Simple is definitely riding high right now. And what I mean, you know, I would think there's there's it's the combination of both, and there's definitely market factors that are serving as a tailwind for Well Simple. You think that's a fair statement to say? Absolutely. Yeah, the rise of yeah. DIY investing. Um, we have also a, a generation of people that um, want to be served in a different way, and then we have. Um, I think an entire segment of the market that just doesn't get access to financial services and tools that really they're going to need. And so it's those combination of things that are really helping us get the traction and get the clients that are going to help but make us successful. And so what, so what is that vision strategy for, for well simple that the, the longer term, the longer term goal there? Well, you know, we, we want to make sure that we help everyone achieve financial freedom, no matter who they are or how much they have. And it's really important. Um, one of the proudest things I am at What Well Simple is that a very, very large number of our clients on our retirement product, our invest product, actually wouldn't qualify to, to get their, their money invested because they have too little uh, with, with us compared to other players. But we invest it because, in my opinion, if you want to start a good habit, we, we shouldn't set a, bare, a minimum threshold. Otherwise, how are you going to ever start that habit, right? And so I'm, I'm pretty proud about some of the things we do to help really provide that access. That's, that's, uh, that's a good, that's definitely, that's kind of starting with the why there. That's great. I mean, obviously there's an underserved market that needs to be served. So that's fantastic. And sort of, so this year, I mean, obviously, you know, over the last year, you've been dealing with that high growth, trying to get from seven to over 300 employees. Um, what are some of the big things you're, you're facing this year? What are some of the big challenges you're finding this year? Well, I think I think the first thing that I think this is something that every business is facing is that you know in a in a hybrid or mainly remote environment, especially in the client experience world, it's it's tough to keep the motivations high and the connection high. Sometimes some of our um, our what we call CXAs or support reps are you know they're working in a one bedroom apartment by themselves on long shifts, and it's hard to get them them connected back with the team and the energy. And so it's something that's really top of my mind is how do I build that more, more alignment, more motivation, more connection at a human level amongst my own team that continues to grow. I think the other one is that, you know, we're, we've raised a lot of money and we're a pretty big company and we're trying to do lots of things, not just one thing. And it's always just a, a challenge of like, how do we make sure we're putting the right amount of effort, bringing the right things at the right time across, you know, seven different product lines. Uh, some of them which are emerging and new and some of them that are very large and have billions of, you know, billions of assets in them and, you know, have real responsibility and weights behind them that we got to manage. And so to me, that's, that's the second is that constant prioritization process that we need to go through. Um, those are the two big ones for me. Uh, those are challenges. Are, are there any, are there any like other SaaS applications that you're using or that you think are, are helping particularly in, in that sort of collaboration? Well, you know, I know, I know many people feel this, but like Slack went down the other day, and we were all forced to go on Google <laughs> yes. Chat. Go on, go on Google Chat. Yeah, and <laughs> that was rough. That was a good reminder how bad Google Chat is and how great Slack is. I, I think Slack for us has become the virtual uh, office. Yeah. Um, no question, there's still challenges on Slack in terms of noise and busyness. 
but that's been a big one we've used. Um, we've also really, really um, rely on our own um, product a lot for our, a lot of what we do. Um, and it's tied into a fantastic system we've been on the scenes. And so I say between those two areas, um, we really try to bridge together this idea of being remote and how we work and collaborate with each other. Um, right. I know at, at, uh, at Dig at Upside, we've got a lot of fans these days for uh, Notion. I think uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sort of super fans of Notion and, and also Miro. A lot of people are loving Miro these days. And so those are two that we've used effectively, I think, in the last couple of months to deal with the, the remote work challenges, but of course, Slack as well. Yeah, Notion's actually one that's been raised. We're actually on Quip and also on Google Docs, but I feel like since Notion's one that's been raised quite a few times, and actually maybe maybe we, I'll even follow up with you after this, Ian, to get a little more intel on it. Excellent. So some of those things are new. Some of, some of these challenges that we're all facing are completely new. This work from home challenge is there's not a lot of uh, you know precedent for that, and and so we're all kind of you know groping and finding our way trying to figure out the best way to maintain culture. But some of the challenges I'm sure are reminiscent of things that you faced through your previous startup experiences. So what are, what, what's some of the learning that you were able to bring from, you know, from Eloqua and Nudge that like right away when you stepped into the role at Well Simple, you were like, okay, I know a different way of handling this problem. I'm gonna use the learning that I had in my, in my, in my past to deal with this. I think there's um, a couple things. I, I think the first thing that I really try and bring into as we get to become a large organization is I really believe in the, in the servant leadership approach. So what I mean by that is, um, especially in the world of financial services, sometimes executives take more of, um, you know, they're a senior person, they only do certain things, um, you're here to serve them. And I take the approach, and I think many hit well simple do that, you know, our job as leaders is to actually support our people to be successful. And so I spend a lot of time um, both meeting one-on-one with our frontline support reps or, of course, talking to customers or having focus groups where we can find out, like, what are the top three things that we're not doing well for our clients and hear right from the people who are working with them. And to me, that's like a huge, huge thing to keep doing as you scale. And it actually gets more important, not less important, the bigger you get. I think the second thing is, um, you know, we're really, really good at combining both you know, the need for what I call some program project management to keep people in, in, in alignment and what's going on, but be really nimble. Um, and I think that where I've seen challenges in the past that we've learned from is where you get too, um, too much into planning, too much into, you know, documents and documentation for everything and not enough doing. And so we really vector in my organization to like experimenting and executing especially if there's little risk or no risk to the client. And so um, that's a big thing that we're focused on as well right now. That's great. Thanks so thanks so much for your time today, Paul. I mean, it's, I could talk to you forever, but I, I you know, I've taken up more than the time now uh, than, 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 you, than I asked for for this podcast, but hopefully we'll reconnect again soon. And I'd love to take you for a beer one day because uh, you have a really fascinating background in, in all your experiences and this is a great conversation. So thanks for much, so much for joining us today. Um, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? Well, well, first, Ian, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it and really enjoyed being on Dig Insights podcast here. Uh, the best way to reach out to me is I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So both Paul Tashima on Twitter 
and on LinkedIn, you can find me there and I'll always be up for a good discussion or connection and some shared experiences. Sounds great. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Find us on LinkedIn at Dig Insights and don't forget to hit subscribe for a weekly dose of fresh content.